tell. Stay tuned. Underlying tension of popular versus. Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. Renee Petropoulos is a contemporary artist who currently lives and works in Venice, California. Petropoulos is an artist and professor for graduate studies at Otis College of Art and Design in Los Angeles. Her genre-spanning thesis deals predominantly with nationalist ideas, the perception of one's own political identity, and of colonization. Her multi-form practice includes art genres such as classical studio art, host studio, text production, and interventions in public space. Renee Petropolis, Los Angeles, California. We were talking earlier about how I might have begun this particular um, set of paintings that I'm working on right now. Uh, they're a commission, and so there's, it's a very specific set of criteria that go into a commission for me, meaning they end up having a site specificity of some kind, site being both um, architectural and contextual. So uh, both of those elements form the way in which I begin to think about how to make this kind of painting. So the client or collector who might um, enter into this arrangement begins by telling me something about themselves. Now this is, it sounds kind of peculiar, maybe like, like a kind of portraiture. And I've grown more to think about certain parts of my painting practice as a kind of portraiture. It's not a new development in my work. This started way back, I would say, in the early 90s when I did a series of portraits of hats. They were individual hats uh, painted on an oval panel and presented very much like one would present a family tree. 
and each one was named after um, a person. So they had a first name as a title, but each hat represented a particular, let's say, emblem of power, meaning the hat would be understood by a particular constituency to be noticed and understood as a ranking. Um, and so they were not just um, benign or amusing, although many of them were very amusing. Some looked like hankies on the top of someone's head or some looked like some strange rag that had you know, fallen askew. And since there were no heads, meaning no faces attached and they were just hats painted in an oval, they took on their more emblematic characteristic. I would say that this characteristic, this idea of the emblem, the idea of um, the signifier, the um, the potentially, let's call it maybe even the decorative as a signifier, the the um, extraneous as a means to access hierarchy, organization, um, emblematic power is something that's interested me for a long time and. I think throughout my my history as an artist, I have worked between what one would term as abstraction and a kind of representation. And so issues of representation are are at the core of my work. And so this new project allowed me to develop a, the language of, let's say, a more pure kind of abstraction that I've been involved with for uh or been involved with specifically since maybe 2007, where I've been really looking at countries and nations and using the color coding of their flags, the systems of representation through color um, as it attaches to nationality, and bringing that into the way to create a painting composition and the way to design a relationship potentially between two countries. One of the earliest versions was uh, the relationship between my two parents. So I chose Germany and Greece. And I constructed the composition in such a way that it reflected how I saw their relationship, which was a kind of autonomous yet connected one. And so the center of the composition had some commingling of the colors and Greece being mostly blue and white and Germany uh, red, yellow, and black. The composition was fairly rectilinear, but then intersected in really particular ways and allowed lines to move from one side of the canvas to another. There's a kind of subjectivity that enters into the way that I might construct the composition to reflect how I see the relationship. Additionally, it began, of course, as I said, in, in, in something very close to me, uh, something that produced me as such. And on the other hand, it's also a very social relationship. Germany and Greece have a long history of being involved uh, politically, um, going way back to um, certain kinds of colonization, uh, up through World War II, and of course, the more present history of guest workers and labor forces. And now the more, even more pressing issue is Germany being the, uh, the banker for Greece. So we have continued relationships on many levels that I find really, really um, striking. And that as much as on the one hand, something is social, it's also potentially and most likely deeply personal. 
And uh, with this new commission, it's um, a work that is um, at least loosely called right now in, in my mind just to, to sort of um, kick the ball along, kind of portrait of a corporation, or at least one of them is. And so it took into account uh, the history of a company from its personal origins, from its family origins, uh, to a very current expansion into a more global sphere. And the painting is 20 feet long and only six and a half feet high. And I say, I stress the only because it emphasizes a very horizontal characteristic. And it also emphasizes the episodic, which is the way I decided to approach the painting, which means that it's broken up in a sense into sections and it is experienced as you move along the painting. Um, it of course can be seen as a single entity, but it's, it's really meant to be seen from a kind of moving point of view that you move along it and then you would move along it, you know, going to the left and then you would end up moving along it going to the right, mainly because you, it is the only way that you will enter and exit a set of, a suite of offices that, that um, this painting introduces you to. I think sort of the ideas of social practice, um, abstraction, um, the limitations of representation, um, these are all aspects of how to how to think about a work like this infrastructure um the history that i was given may not be seen by really anyone else in a funny way certain parts of it will be seen by many people will be accessed pretty immediately but the very particular details will never be accessed because the painting really is an abstract painting it's horizontals and verticals it's structures it's um lateral and horizontal movement. It has um, a kind of mapping device. There are certain ways when you first encounter the painting, it implies one kind of experience. And then as you turn the corner, you will find, or one will find that the experience utterly changes. And I think this reflection or this idea that I have that the that politics can be really seen very acutely and carefully in structures of color, in structures of form, in the way that uh, a visual um, representation is set up is key to the way I have developed this painting. And what about the second one? Because you mentioned you're working on two, uh, two commissions. I've been focusing on the one painting because it was literally made very specifically with this, um, with the site in mind and with the, um, with the development of, of the experience of looking and the unfolding of a history, the unfolding of, um, as, as I might've spoken to the collector about a legacy. And it kept making me reflect on, on especially the history of painting during the Renaissance. I'm thinking about that because I recently spent a fair amount of time in the last few years looking at collections, private collections of wealthy patrons in Rome during roughly the Renaissance and early Baroque periods. And what became fascinating was the one, the, um, the relationship between collector and artist and how a kind of 
intimacy developed between the two and not always congenial. I'm not saying it um, that it was always congenial, but a very intimate relationship and understanding of the exchange of power. And I felt myself struck that even now in the 21st century, I might be caught in that position. And I don't think many of us, many of us, meaning artists, think we are in that position too often, mostly because we make things autonomously and they get put in galleries and then they get sold. But when one is asked to actually make a commission and then the commission doesn't really have restraints in that it, I was not told it had to look like something, it was clearly understood that I would be working through abstraction in order to produce this work based in all of the information given to me. So it was rooted in something very concrete and yet allowed to develop and flourish in something that wouldn't necessarily look concrete. It's not pictorial in the sense that it it represents um, the elements of power, but in fact it does. And it does so, I think, precisely because abstraction has become the language of the corporate world. And the corporate world is not interested particularly in uh, in figural representation. It, it has really very little place in the office in the office space or in the high rise. Figuration is, is for, for some place quite different. Um, we have shifted quite a bit. And I think the language of abstraction, minimalism, you could say was maybe one of the first, uh, let's say, appreciated works in the corporate world. Very fantastic to have a work that's a single color. Fantastic to have a work that was reduced and could um, comply with, in, in many ways, the um, sleekness and identity of a corporate world. It's not to say that representation doesn't come into play in various guises, but figuration rarely does any, any longer. I found myself really thinking about this form and how it was actually following a, a kind of historical model, but in really different terms, and that this was satisfying to someone at the head of a company, precisely because it, it, it would never violate certain terms, but yet it could articulate or express certain, let's say, infrastructural form that would be understood by those who viewed it. And that I find very fascinating. The color coding of countries, the, the, the sort of systems of movement, all are I think fairly readily um, perceivable, even without, let's say, immediately translating them into language. You know, they're they're pretty they're pretty quickly registered. The sort of let's say uh, alliance of red, white, and blue, or something, immediately takes us to a kind of patriotism. We we can't escape it. And uh, with a painting installed in the United States, that's doubly emphasized. Um, and then to move on from that and seeing other systems of color start to open up and um, present themselves, one starts to understand those equally well. And we're getting more and more savvy as an audience to an expanded array of that, especially if you watch the news most of the time, you'll see a color band that'll indicate the country being spoken about via its um, flag colors. And it may not be called out to everyone, but it's pretty quickly taken in. And so the kind of hard-looking and um, experiential 
are of great importance to me. This is a painting that's going to be viewed over and over by many of the same people. I mean, obviously some people outside will come in and see it, but it will be mostly for those who are repeat visitors who come every single day, who will be moving back and forth. And I'm interested in how it operates for for those that are in constant viewing of it. It's a very um, complex picture in that it's in very layered and and very densely um, composed. Therefore, it's very difficult to focus on one particular thing at a time. There are areas where your eye might be able to stop and take it in, and then others where it will constantly be fluttering around and unable to settle down on one place. That, to me, is part of the content of the work and part of what I find important about trying to move abstraction um, along a little bit. I mean, I think that early abstraction started in the political, and we can say it started in, you know, constructivism and suprematism for the most part, a kind of version in cubism, but, but really more strictly in constructivism, suprematism. And that abstraction was entirely linked to a political ideology, and one that was rooted in the idea of the democratic, meaning that anyone could look at it and therefore understand it. There was no, quote, hidden hidden kind of um, agenda as such. I'm not totally sure that's true always, but, but I think that's the, the idea of democracy and abstraction have gone hand in hand for quite a long time. And we see that all the way into the 40s. And then there's kind of a break. And, and really only in South America do I think that the sort of moves in abstraction continued along these lines. Whereas in most of Central Europe, I, I think other forms took precedence. And um, a kind of expressionism moved in, which, which I think is quite different than what I'm talking about. Uh, so I'm really quite interested in seeing how this might manifest itself now. I'm interested in how it manifests itself, particularly in relationship to a commission, into the notion of making a, quote, corporate painting, a painting for a corporation, which would be the latter-day cardinal or um, latter-day collector and commissioner of works, and how how this might reflect um, into the future. I'm fascinated by what you're uh, sharing about the history of abstraction and how it goes hand in hand, as you say, with democracy. And also, so that's something, if if you could talk a little bit more about that, because there, that's frequently not how I think the the public, and of course, there are many publics, but might experience abstraction today. I'm not, I'm not sure. So I find that fascinating. And though also this idea of a kind of embedded narrative within an abstraction and also a subjective one, possibly, if we're connecting it to ideas of democracy. So if you could address that more. Well, I, I'm using or I'm thinking about the history as being connected to the ideas of the democratic. Part of that, I, as I said, is connected to the, to the way that the material is accessed, that it's um, perceivable and um, maybe in a sense demystified and so has an availability to it. I would say, you know, 70 years, 80 years later, I'm hopefully not there exactly, but I but I feel that abstraction still has a vitality and still has political agency. 
and that um, instead of creating a spectacle as such, there's a way to create an experience potentially through form and that by creating, how do I put it, um, a sense of perceivability that this is, oh, I, I see this, I see that, I I get this movement, I'm, I'm falling into it, I'm, I'm being, in a sense, seduced by a certain formal aspect of it, is a way to then step back simultaneously and start to say, well, it's not, this is not just, you know, some colorful thing to fill up the wall. There's something happening here. That's, I think, what starts to come through when one is really careful structurally, when one really, I, I think, puts intention, or for me, when I start to really think about the role of, um, of the commissioned artist, the how can I work under this kind of circumstance? It's foreign, in a sense, to the modern or to contemporary artists to work under a kind of demand like that, right? It's... And on the other hand, I found it absolutely intriguing that this would be a site to really test and see where it could go. And how do you see those two paintings that have been commissioned by the same corporation? Do they interact with each other? Is there a relationship? Well, it's interesting because the second one really came about almost inadvertently from the the first one. What I did is I made a set of drawings and I worked rather furiously in a relatively short amount of time to work through many of the ideas that I'm, I've been talking about, like how to, how to think about the space, how, to, how would you see it, how would you move through it, how would you go from left, if you came from the left, if you came from the right, um, you only have 10 feet to step back from it, what, is, what does that do, how does that change your vision, what do you see at any given time, these were all parts of the way I had to make my studies. The idea of the episodes, which I mentioned, I think, at the beginning, came into play, that it could be an episodic thing. It wouldn't be about seeing a single picture, but about something that would unfold over a kind of um, the movement of walking 20 feet down a, down a space, down a lobby space, and then being able to walk back on that space. And what you see peripherally and what you see in an angle, because it's an incredibly dramatic perspective that gets forced on one with a painting this long and this narrow. So you, when you look from either end, it actually forces an unnatural perspective in, in a certain way. It exaggerates it. And because this has such um, emphatic horizontals and verticals, that gets doubly sort of emphasized. And so if you're coming from the right, it unfolds in, in one way. If you're coming from the left, it does something absolutely differently. So would you say then that the initial painting, the first one that is 20 yeah. feet long and six and a half feet high, will it then continue in an episode, let's say, part of that episodic to then the second painting? Well, the second painting is an entirely different situation. It is viewed immediately upon entry onto the floor of the building. There is no um, coming from the left or coming from the right. It is literally right in front of you when you see it. So it's functioning much more like a picture. It presented a lot more problems for me because I was so involved with the other thinking that to to then sort of almost simultaneously I mean, or just uh, concurrently begin thinking about something that you would only see from one point of view immediately 
how did that work? And so I, I decided to take it on with, with a kind of um, centrality. It functions from a central axis, and most of the information is peripheral. So it follows around the border of the work. And this is something I worked on, oh, maybe 20 years ago, I started mm. working on, which were um, circular paintings, wreath paintings, where the centers of the paintings were, not, um, were cut out, and you saw the wall in the middle. And all of the painting was on the periphery. So in some ways, this is hearkening back to those, although it has the center. It is a rectangular painting as opposed to a round painting like those were. But it brought forward some of what I had to reckon with there, which were things that moved around the edge of something and then left the center in a kind of uh, precarious state. Let's put it that way. I'm interested in what you spoke about when you said currently corporations the language of the corporation is abstraction and that could be taken literally in regards to use the artist creating works using abstraction can also address the corporation itself and how it communicates and i'm just wondering because you are addressing political themes with your work how that connects. Well, I think you hit you hit it in the language that you just used. I think corporations are abstract. And most of us, as concrete as we would like to make them, and as concrete as they would like to have us understand them, they're working continually in abstractions. And they are moving things around and operating at a level that, for most of us, is fundamentally abstract. And you can really say money is one of the first places. It is one of the great abstractions. Uh, so, so it, I think, goes to exactly the language that, that you begin to use in perceiving or understanding or seeing the work is, is that what I want? That's the language I want used around this subject. I may, I may not have enough time here to expand on the notions that I, or the notion that I brought up earlier of, a kind of um, language of abstraction functioning as a corporate language and functioning potentially as a kind of portraiture um, these days. But I think through maybe some of the systems that I brought up, some of the um, ideas of color, of um, structure, of space, of viewpoint, of transparency, of opaqueness, um, material concerns, um, experiential um, moments. These are all, I think, words and um, potentially ways that we might describe our relationship to um, this kind of portraiture or this kind of um, emblematic representation, because that's, that would, might be another way to see it, is that it becomes um, emblematic uh, of, of the way the corporation might want to present itself, right? It, um, abstraction rarely is terribly con controversial on the one hand. On the other, it can be very much so. Um, and this is the thing, it's a, it's a fine line of, of how it's, it, it functions and depends on the climate. But it, 
this moment, I think, is what I'm talking about. It It is the, I think, method or it is the, a vehicle or a way for a kind of corporate um, portrait to be presented. Yeah. Am I complicit? I'm not so sure. Maybe. Thank you. This is uh, Renee Petropoulos in Los Angeles in the late afternoon. From the kitchen table out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell with assistant producer Babe Howard. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels. As part of WJFF's mission to keep our listeners informed, we make announcements every day about what's happening in our local communities. You can submit your public service announcement to be read on air, too. If you are part of a nonprofit organization and have a service or event happening in our listening area, email calendar at wjffradio.org. That's calendar at wjffradio.org. WJFF Jeffersonville and W233AH Monticello.